You know, so much of what happened in Bethlehem that day was unexpected. And you might say that's the definition of a miracle. It's something that God does that's unexpected and hard to explain. And there's a lot to celebrate in the Christmas story. A lot of miraculous things that happen. But I wonder this morning, what is the real miracle of Christmas? If you had to boil down the real miracle to Christmas to just one miracle, what would it be? Would it be angels appearing to shepherds? Would it be a star that guided the wise men? Would it be the virgin birth? Would it be that God Himself put on human flesh and blood and came down to live among us as one of us? Don't get me wrong, any and every one of those are great miracles. But those are all the ways in which God accomplished the real miracle of Christmas. And the real miracle of Christmas is that God's love came down to redeem us. The love of God is the real miracle of Christmas. As we heard in our New Testament reading this morning, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. That's you and me, everyone who's ever lived. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That's Christmas. That whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The real miracle is that Jesus did not have to come, but He did. The real miracle is that God did not have to make a way for us rebellious humans, but He did. We do not deserve the attention of heaven. Yet 2,000 years ago, God's love laser focused down on this blue marble hanging in space. And that focus is still there today. That is the real miracle of Christmas. That no matter what we've done or what we will do, none of that changes the focus of God's love for you. God's love for you is consistent. It's persistent. The gift of His love doesn't depend upon the worthiness of the recipients. The gift of His love is all about the willingness of the giver. It's all about His holiness. It's all about His grace and His mercy and His faithful character. That is the real meaning and miracle of Christmas. It doesn't matter how far His sheep wander, the Good Shepherd will always go after that one lost sheep. It doesn't matter how unfaithful His children, the Father will always bring us back to His heart with loving discipline. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And so this morning, as we think about Jesus as the child of persistent love, God brought to my mind a powerful and beautiful passage of Scripture. We heard it referenced already this morning, and that's Hosea chapter 11. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hosea chapter 11. See, Jesus is a reflection of the Father's love for us. And in this amazing passage, we read about the never-ending, never-stopping, never-giving-up, always-and-forever love that the Heavenly Father has for each one of us. Let me read through this chapter for us, and then we'll go back and we'll look at a few verses at a time. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals. They burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. 
I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn away from me. Even if they call to the Most High, He will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me and all my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When He roars, His children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Now, the next time, as as what Jerry read in our Advent reading this morning, the next time someone tries to tell you that God in the Old Testament is only judgy and wrathful and angry and destroying people all the time, when people want to tell you there's no grace and there's no mercy and there's no love in God in the Old Testament, you take them to Hosea chapter 11, okay? Because this chapter gives us such a vision of God the Father, of His tender and compassionate love for His children. And I want us this morning to look at how God loves us and how we tend to respond to that love and how we should respond to that love. And and this isn't just some kind of hallmark Christmas movie kind of love, okay? This isn't just, you know, syrupy sentimentality. Hosea, if you read the entire book of Hosea, Hosea is delivering a hard-hitting sermon to rebellious Israel that's about to be carried away into captivity in Assyria because they had forsaken the Lord. Hosea's message all the way up through verse, uh, you know, chapter 10, it's, his message is a warning of the coming judgment. It's a call to repentance. It's as if Hosea is saying, you know, the Lord's got a lot of problems with you people and now you're going to hear about it. And he lets them have it. But then we come to chapter 11. And chapter 11 gives us a peek into the mind of God as he debates with himself what to do with this unruly bunch of people. There's a bunch of kids that don't know how to behave. Moms, dads, anybody here know how to relate to that? There you go. The Lord knows how to relate. He does. And like a lot of parents, God basically is saying in this chapter, I've given you my best. I've done everything I know to do with you. And still His children turn away from Him with rebellious hearts. So this expression of God's love is that of a loving Father who wants to bring His wayward children home. And I believe that Jesus had to have this passage in mind when He was telling the story of the prodigal son. Because that's really what Hosea chapter 11 is. It's God the Father waiting patiently, lovingly for His wayward children to come home. And the first thing that we see about God's love in this chapter is that God's love calls to us. It calls to us in verses 1 and 2. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the bells and they burned incense 
to images. Now, verse one right here, you may recognize it. It's a messianic prophecy. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So it's, it's a messianic prophecy foretelling Jesus' childhood in Egypt as Joseph and Mary fled there to escape the murderous King Herod. But it's also a remembering. It's not just a looking forward to Jesus. It's a remembering back to Israel's beginnings. Throughout Hosea, God uses this analogy of marriage. God is the husband. Israel is the wife. In fact, He even uses Hosea's marriage to the unfaithful Gomer as an illustration of how God's people are unfaithful to Him. He, he likens idolatry to adultery. But here in Hosea 11, God changes His analogy to that of a loving father and his wayward son. Out of Egypt I called my son. Israel was God's son because of his covenant with Abraham. Remember, God promised to make Abraham the father of a mighty nation. His, his descendants would be like the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. They'd be a mighty nation. He would give them a promised land. He would bless those that bless him and curse those who curse him. And through Abraham's family, God said, I will bless all families on the earth. And these descendants of Abraham then ended up in slavery in Egypt for 400 years until God, through Moses, called them out of Egypt, called them out of slavery and to freedom in the promised land. Through that Exodus event, God took a people who had no identity, no land, no freedom, and He turned them into a powerful nation. He gave them the identity. They were His children. He gave them a land to live in, Canaan land. He gave them a king, and He promised His presence in their midst always through the temple. In the Exodus event, God showed that He could take a nobody and make them a somebody, and He could take the most powerful nation in the world, Egypt at the time, and bring them to their knees. Because the Lord God is sovereign on His throne. And so here God is reminding Israel that He is their loving Father who gave them life. In essence, He's saying, I brought you into this world. And you know how to finish that phrase. Because, see, Israel has proved themselves to be an unfaithful, rebellious child. Israel fell in love with one false god after another, chased after one pagan idol after another. And the more God called to Israel as the object of His love, the further they wandered away from Him. They rejected His loving call so that they could pursue the empty promises of the pagan world around them. Now, when we come to the New Testament, Paul warns Christians against doing the very same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul reminds these believers of the kind of people they used to be. He says, you used to be sexually immoral, you used to be liars and cheats and thieves, you used to be disobedient, you stole, you, you, you were drunk, you were greedy. But then Paul writes this, that is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were changed. You're not that way anymore. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You've been set free. You've been brought over to the promised land. And Paul goes on to tell them how they don't belong to themselves anymore. They now belong to God who bought them with the price, with the very blood of Jesus. 
The Apostle John similarly reminds us that once we come to know this persistent love of God, we should love Him singularly. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So as we look toward Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus, the day the love of God came to dwell among us, let's do it with a clear conscience. Let's take some time right now to examine our hearts, to ask ourselves, am I trying to live with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdoms of this world? Am I trying to ride the fence and appease the living God of Scripture while at the same time trying to appease the gods of worldly success and wealth and fame and pleasure? Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll always love one and hate the other. The loving Father is calling to us today to follow Him, to abide in His love and allow His transforming love to abide in us. Will you answer that call? Will you answer the loving call of God to you or are you going to wander away like rebellious Israel did? The love of God calls to us. Secondly, the love of God walks with us. Look at verse 3. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they didn't realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. What a tender group of images Hosea paints for us here. Though Israel turned away like a rebellious teenager, the father did not forsake them. He cared for them like a sick child. He healed all their childhood diseases. He nursed their cuts and scrapes and bumps and bruises. You know, all those self-inflicted wounds from living a life wandering away from Him. He took them in His arms like a father teaching a toddler how to walk. Can't you just picture a father, you know, like Ben with Caleb. I've seen Ben do this. Just take Caleb by the arms and just try to help him take those first few steps. Help him to try out those weak legs and, and, and get them underneath them and get that stableness. It's a beautiful picture. And as I thought about this, I thought my mind kind of was blown by thinking about Joseph holding Jesus by the hands. Joseph. Holding the hands of the God who held the hands of Israel, teaching him how to walk. Wow. Can't imagine how humbling that must have been if that ever occurred to Joseph, what he was doing right there. And that's the image that we have the picture of God's tender, patient, persistent love for us. God is a hands on parent. He's hands-on with us. He's attentive to our needs. He's ever-present to help us walk and to pick us up when we fall and to clean up our wounds and put us back on our feet. Yet Israel didn't even realize that it was God who was walking with them and healing them. Notice in this chapter how Israel treats their father. They're a bunch of ungrateful, spoiled brats, aren't they? Rebellious, turning to idols. The more God calls to them, the more they don't listen. They're happy to enjoy the gifts, but they don't want to obey the giver. In short, they take God for granted. 
Kind of like little kids on Christmas morning. You know, so obsessed, been with those presents, those packages, just can't wait to tear into it, that they don't take the time to say thank you to Grandma. They're on to the next gift. Or even worse, moms and dads, when they open it up and they say, I've already got one of these. Oh my goodness. You know the drill, moms and dads. We have to help them. We have to teach them those manners to get up and go say thank you to aunt so-and-so. And, you know, if, if you already have it, you say thank you anyway because it's the thought that counts. And Israel acts, on, on one hand, they're acting like ungrateful children. And on the other hand, they're acting like rebellious teenagers. But, you know, can't we all be that way with God? How often do we take God's grace and mercy for granted? Maybe you've lost the wonder and awe of the fact that you get to come before the throne of the Creator of the cosmos anytime you want. That we get to gather every week with our brothers and sisters in Christ and draw the attention of heaven as we worship our Creator and our Savior. Has that just become old hat for you? How often do we reject these gifts for the allure of a sleep-in on a Sunday or a football game or a round of golf? How often do we choose to watch TV or surf Facebook instead of opening up God's Word and spending time with our Father? Yet God still chooses to love us and to treat us not as slaves, not as servants, but as friends. Not as farm animals, but as children. That's what he's talking about there in verse 4. God binds Himself to us with cords of human kindness and ties of love, not with bits and bridles. He doesn't treat us as farm animals to be, to be directed and to be, and to be forced to go one way or the other. He woos us. He encourages us as a loving father. He warns us as a stern parent. He doesn't put a yoke on our necks. He removes the yoke of slavery. He doesn't just toss His blessings out on the ground like, like a farmer might throw out feed for the chickens. Rather, He bends down and He feeds us from His own hand. Are you walking in the love of God? Are you sitting daily at Jesus' feet allowing Him to feed your soul from His own hand? Are you allowing God to walk with you and to teach you how to live in His ways? Do you go to your Father daily for forgiveness when you falter? Letting Him heal your scraped knees and scratched elbows. God's love for you is tender. But God's love is also fierce. The love of the Father is fierce. Look at verses 5 and through 7. Will they not return to Egypt? Will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, He will by no means exalt them. Now remember one of Israel's greatest and earliest acts of rebellion was they were standing on the precipice of the promised land. God, they had witnessed God bring Egypt to their knees and deliver them through all this wilderness, give them the law on Mount Sinai we talked about last week, and now He brings them to the promised land. And he says, I'm going to deliver this land into your hands. You just have to trust me. And Israel takes one look and says, nope, not going to do it. 
we don't trust you. Either they didn't trust that God could or that God would. But they said, no. And they said, let's go back to Egypt. They would rather return to slavery than to trust the God who delivers them. They would rather go back to their old masters to get new yokes on their necks than to trust in the God who took the yokes off of their necks. And from that moment on, they complained and they rebelled and they turned their back against God. And so God disciplined them by forcing them to wander in the wilderness, to wander in that land between freedom and slavery until that faithless generation died out. And once again in Hosea's day, Israel was seeking help from Egypt as the Assyrian Empire was breathing down their necks. Now the Assyrians were God's instrument of discipline on His children. He warned them of the consequences of their adulterous hearts. That they would lose the privilege of living in this promised land. They would lose the privilege of being able to access the presence of God through the temple. They would lose the privilege of having a king rule over them. And they would be taken into captivity. But rather than repent of their sins and return to God, they sought treaties with their former captors. And even though it broke the father's heart, he sent Assyria to put an end to their wicked plans. God was tired of the faithlessness of His children. His children who were so determined to turn away from His goodness and grace. Israel was sort of like that child, you know, that gets in trouble and then comes up and says, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. You know, please don't ground me or spank me or take away my iPad or whatever. And the mom and dad knows you're just sorry you got caught. You're just sorry you're getting punished. You can see through to that heart that there's no true remorse there and there's no change of heart. That was Israel. That's exactly where they were. God's love is fierce. Fiercely jealous. Fiercely disciplines His children for their own good. You might call God's love at times a tough love. Proverbs 3.12 says the Lord disciplines those He loves as the Father, the Son He delights in. Maybe this morning you're experiencing the fierce love of the Father because you are living in sin. Your heart has been unrepentant. You've grown cold and distant from God, determined to keep turning away from Him. And yeah, okay, when times get tough, you might come calling on God in prayer or showing up in church for a season, but there's no real change of heart. I implore with you this morning to return to the Father. Come back to the persistent love of God. Don't take it for granted. Don't spurn His love or attention. God's waiting. Like the father waiting for the prodigal child to come home. God is waiting for you. Won't you come home to Him this Christmas? Come home to Jesus this Christmas. Because even though you've been unfaithful to God, I promise you, God's love will always be faithful to you. That's what we see in verses 8 and 9 is... That God's love is faithful. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. Again, note the tender compassion that God's heart has for His people. Reminds me of what David wrote in Psalm 35 when he said, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts 
a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night. But hallelujah, rejoicing comes in the morning. Amen? Or again, David says in Psalm 145.8, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. And you know what? David should know what he's talking about here. You remember David? He committed adultery with one of his best friend's wife. And then he conspired to hide what he had done. And when that didn't work, he betrayed his friend and allowed his friend to be killed on the field of battle. That's some serious stuff. And even though God, even though David did all of that and God showed David his fierce love, God called David on what he did. God held David accountable. God disciplined David. But God still loved David and called him a man after his own heart. God still allowed David to sit on the throne and allowed his son to build the temple in Jerusalem. God still kept his promise that through you, David, there will be a king who will reign in Israel forever and ever. And we know that promise was fulfilled when Jesus Christ was born. When God asks here, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over? He's referencing Deuteronomy chapter 21 that in the Mosaic Law, it outlines how you treat an openly rebellious son. You bring him before the elders in town and they publicly stone him to death. And God says, how can I give you up? You're my son, I can't do that to you. Adma and Zeboim were two cities destroyed by God along with Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. And God says, I can't and won't treat you like that, Israel. You're my son. I love you. God's heart was stirred to compassion for His children. Though God disciplines us out of fierce love, God will never destroy us out of fierce anger. Because He is God and not man. He doesn't react in anger like we do. God will not come to His children in wrath. He will only ever come to His children in love. And God doesn't change His mind. And he never goes back on his word either. As Numbers 23.19 says, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So just as God stayed faithful to his covenant promise to David, God is telling Israel, I'm going to stay faithful to my covenant promise to Abraham. Though Israel would experience the discipline of exile for a time, God would restore Israel to their promised land. The temple would be rebuilt. And David's son would someday sit and rule on the throne of Israel forever. The Messiah is going to come and all nations will be blessed through him. Israel's unfaithfulness does not undermine the plan of God. Amen? Aren't you glad? God's love may be fierce when we need it, but it is always faithful to his promises. And finally, God's love is forever. Verses 10 and 11. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When He roars, His children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. And I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. There's a common pattern in the Old Testament prophets. First, God sort of airs His grievances with Israel. He, 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 he proclaims His judgment on them for their acts of sin. But then, he always follows up that proclamation of judgment with a declaration of hope. Hope for future restoration. 
Verse 10 describes the Lord roaring like a lion. Now, typically, that's a, there's always a reference in the, in the prophets to God's roar of judgment. When God roars, He roars in judgment. But here, it's not a roar of judgment. It's a roar of love. Judgment will not be God's final word for His people. Love will be the final word for His people. And when the people hear the roar of God's love, they will come. Oh, they'll come trembling, but they will come and they will come home to their loving Father. Rather than walking away from God's call in verse 2, here they will hear the roar of God's love and they will come home. They will follow the voice of their good shepherd. God's forever love is displayed uniquely and powerfully in the nativity, isn't it? In the birth of Christ. The angels that day issued 12 words that changed the world forever. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And through that baby's cry, the roar of God's love came loud and clear. And that love continued to amaze and confound people as Jesus taught and worked miracles. And it roared loudest of all as Jesus cried out on the cross, It is finished. The roar of God's love. Jesus Himself even said that when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to Myself. The forever faithful love of the Father calls out to us still. Calls out through the Scripture. Calls out through Christians who are being faithful to share the good news of Jesus Christ. God's love is calling out to you right now. Today. Have you answered God's loving call? Have you answered the call to forgiveness and salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ? If you haven't, then I pray this morning you would come and put your faith and trust in the God whose love for you is forever and faithful. This morning, are you walking daily in a loving relationship with God? Do you know the tender, compassionate love of the Father as He helps you to walk in the way of Christ, as He picks you up when you fall and heals your wounds? Maybe this morning you need to stop acting like a rebellious teenager or an ungrateful toddler and turn back to your Father and walk with Him. Maybe this morning you're experiencing the fierceness of God's love as He is disciplining you to turn your heart back to Him. Whatever God is saying to you today, Will you obey? Will you take a step of faith and trust the leading of God's Spirit? Let's pray. Father, thank You that we can call You Father. Thank You that You love us as sons and daughters. Thank You that You're a good shepherd who will always go after the stray. And there may be people in the room here right now, people listening online or over the radio that are straying. They're far from You. Their hearts have grown cold and hard. I pray You would touch them today. I pray You would call them back to Yourself. I pray You would pierce through that hard outer shell and soften their heart right now. Father, help us to love You as the loving, faithful, persistent Father You are. Help us to trust You and to share your love with others. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.